You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. From the heart of where innovation, money, and power collide, in Silicon Valley and beyond, this is Bloomberg Technology with Emily Chang. San Francisco and this is Bloomberg Technology coming up in the next hour. Elon Musk changes his mind again, saying he will buy Twitter, after all, at the original price. The Bloomberg scoop sends Twitter shares soaring and Tesla shares falling. Why the change of heart after spending a fortune on lawyers trying to get out of the deal to buy a company he's now criticized for months? Will Twitter just drop its suit or try to get more certainty that Musk will actually go through with it this time? And how will this all impact Musk's role at Tesla and SpaceX? We've got experts on all angles. We will ask those questions throughout this hour. But first, I want to start with the market reaction. Bloomberg's Ed Ludlow has been across this all day in New York. Ed, walk us through the ups and the downs. Yeah, so I mean, Twitter shares surged, right, the most since April 4th, which was the day when Musk first disclosed his stake in Twitter, let alone before he announced that he would try to buy the company and take it private. Ultimately, we ended up with a gain of 22%. The stock was halted uh, at one point for volatility and then resumed trading. And by that point, Musk had updated his 13D filing to let us know what was going on, and a Twitter spokesman had spoken as well. Let's take a look at this terminal chart, which is the spread, right? The difference between the $54.20 per share price and the current share price. And now it's off the chart, right? We're really closing that gap as we move towards something that we expect to happen quite quickly. All of the conditions of the original April 25th agreement have largely been satisfied, and that is what Musk talked about in his letter to Twitter that was disclosed on Tuesday. He is going with the original terms of the deal. You also mentioned Tesla. We did see that stock pair a gain of as much as 6% after that Bloomberg scoop, closing up by around 3%. I think what's interesting here is that the feeling in the market is Musk will at some point have to sell some more Tesla stock to cover the equity portion of the financing for this deal. But there's also an element of key man risk, right? Elon Musk is the CEO of both Tesla and SpaceX. Well, if he is going to buy Twitter, how much of a distraction is that? I know you've got some great guests you can put that question to, but we're back to where we started, Em. What a day. 
It's not a done deal yet, though, Ed, because I have, I've got the letter here, which you can look at at Bloomberg.com. Right. The letter saying we write to no notify you that the Musk parties intend to proceed to the closing of the transaction subject to the conditions set forth therein and pending receipt right. of the proceeds of the debt, debt financing. financing. So he's trying to put some yeah. conditions on the deal, well, right? Well, look, back in April, Musk raised or secured $12.5 billion of debt financing and an additional 500 million revolving credit line. That's split between a 6.5 billion leverage loan, 3 billions of secured bonds, 3 billions of unsecured bonds. What's changed is yields are soaring, the market has changed, and it's a really difficult time to sell leverage debt or buyout debt. And so basically the banks that Musk has engaged with have to go to asset managers and try and get this debt sold. It's a much harder sell in present day than it was back in April. So there's some uncertainty there. But as I said, go back to the original April 25th agreement, look at section 2.2, the closing and the conditions. And a lot of those conditions are now met. Shareholder approval from Twitter, regulatory waiting periods have surpassed. So it could be interesting to see how quickly the closing of this deal uh, Proceeds, And as Kurt's going to go through some of the reporting, I think Kathleen St. Jude McCormick, the Chancery judge who was due to preside over the trial in October, she's basically saying, how's this going to go moving forward? Right. She said, come back to us with a proposal. Okay, right. Ed, thank you. We're going to talk to you a little bit later in the show. It all started with a Bloomberg scoop. Bloomberg obtaining a letter from Elon Musk's team stating that he wants to go ahead and buy Twitter after all for the original price, $54.20 a share. Let's get right to Bloomberg's Kurt Wagner, who helped break this story, as well as Gerber Kawasaki president and CEO Ross Gerber, who owns Tesla, but sold his stake in Twitter over the course of all of this. Kurt, I want to start with you. What is the very, very latest that we know? Yeah, I mean, you and Ed were kind of hitting on it, right? Obviously, Elon Musk is saying, hey, let's get back to this original deal that we had in April. Twitter has said, hey, we want to close this at 54.20 per share, which is what they've been saying all along. Now, you would think, OK, both sides are at the exact same spot, right? That was the agreement that was in April. Now, the fact that there is a little bit of reservation here or hesitation just goes to show how much distrust has uh, you know come up between these two sides over this process, right? So the fact that both of them are saying they want the exact same thing on the same day, and yet people are still waiting to say, well, let's wait until it's officially signed on the dotted line. <laughs> that just kind of gives you a sense of how this has played out, that, that everyone is going to hold their breath until this becomes final, final, uh, which we may find out in the next couple of days. Right. And who can blame them? Right. Uh, as a Tesla investor, Ross, you weren't happy about Elon Musk trying to buy Twitter at all. You got out of Twitter. What are you thinking now? Well, I'm thinking it's going to make the uh, business uh, books on how not to buy a company. Um, he's literally created a huge loss for himself by really the way he's handled this, because a lot has changed inside Twitter in the last four months as well, including a mass amount of high-quality individuals who worked at Twitter leaving and a lot more planning on leaving. So he's paying the highest price possible. He's trying to get debt at the worst time possible. He's basically being forced to buy this company. It's not like he changed a heart. I think his lawyers just told him he was going to lose. And so this is what I thought the whole time. And I got out of this mess because I didn't want to be involved with this mess. And I'm grateful I did. I lost a little money. But but this is a mess. It's really not great for Elon. That said, I'm glad that it's going to come to a conclusion. And, and hopefully, as a Tesla investor, we can get back to focusing on the most exciting company in the world. Uh, Kurt, 
let's talk a little bit about how Twitter is digesting this, you know, because they haven't dropped their litigation in talking to my sources. You know, if you're Twitter, you're going to want some certainty. Is, is, is he really serious right now? Is this right. uh, really it? What are you hearing from the Twitter camp about what their next move is? Right. Well, to your point, going back to that distrust I was talking about earlier, right, there, there's not a lot of incentive uh, for anyone to simply say, uh, we're going to drop everything we're doing because this guy said X, right? And so I think, you know, uh, my understanding is that Twitter would need to stay or essentially, re you know, retract its lawsuit against Musk in order for him to sign this. Um, presumably, you know, if they believe that he's operating in good faith, that would be the next step was that they'd say, OK, the lawsuit's over. Let's get back to the original agreement. But again, the fact that we're even discussing this, it just shows how fractured that relationship has been. And Emily, we've talked about this before. What's crazy is this is now who they want to run Twitter, right? A person that they've kind of painted as a liar, someone that they painted as as, uh, you know, not uh, prepared to operate this social network. And yet they're fighting to get him to do it. That's where employees are today, right? They're suddenly waking up and saying, okay, now this kind of, uh, in some of their minds, worst case scenario is coming true, which means that they're going to have a new boss very shortly. And it's someone that they might not necessarily agree with on a bunch of different things. Right. And, you know, from many perspectives, Twitter's in a worse position than it was when Elon Musk decided to buy the company because of what's happened with morale, what's happened with folks leaving the company. Um, on the Tesla side, Ross, you know, clearly investors are concerned about this, given the reaction in the stock. Do you believe the concern is more that he might sell Tesla stock to finance this deal or the key man risk that his attentions are going to be even more divided? So, you know, from the perspective of Tesla, he sold a lot of stock already and it's been an overhang all year from those sales. And if he has to sell, you know, another couple billion, it's a huge company and, and that'll be that. And so it takes away that uncertainty. Either way, I don't think it's that material from an economic perspective. But I think the second issue brought up is material, which is being CEO of three major companies is not something humans can do well. And so I get that he thinks he can do this, but this is now a media property, which is very different than running a space or EV, which are both technology companies. And, and the dynamics it takes to run a media company is completely opposite from his skill set. And that's been more than proven by the way he's handled the employees of Twitter, like at the all hands meeting. And I think you guys are being nice saying that there's distrust. It's not distrust, it's hate. They hate him, okay? He's created a situation he created it. And I love Elon. You know, I, I'm, I'm a fan and supporter. Don't get me wrong. But I have friends at Twitter and they hate him. So this is like two, getting two divorced people who hate each other to now get married again. Now, if I'm Twitter, I'm not going to get rid of this lawsuit at all. I'm going to force specific performance on Elon because there's no trust there at all. So this is a really, really difficult situation. And I think that's the risk, the key man risk to Tesla is that now he gets this company and, you know, like, tell me what day is going to be easy for him at Twitter. And the reality is, Kurt, let me know if I'm right here. I mean, Elon Musk could own Twitter in a matter of days, right? This could all happen really quickly. That's right. Well, all of the, the kind of stipulations for the deal closing have, have already happened, uh, including the shareholder vote, which we, you know, covered last uh, in September last month. And so, you know, yes, this could all happen very quickly. What I find 
kind of crazy and, and sort of uh, ironic and hilarious, right, is that the last guy who ran Twitter essentially was asked to to leave because he had two jobs, right? And now the guy who's running Twitter is going to have three jobs. Uh, this has been said before, but it, it, the irony here, Emily, is is quite strong. Strong, indeed. Uh, Ross, as a Tesla shareholder, what's your biggest concern about how, you know, he plans to run Twitter, if he plans to run Twitter, how involved he plans to be in management, and what would you like to see? I'm assuming a more hands-off approach. You know, this whole thing is, uh, you know, I don't know how he got himself into this, but, you know, and he's a very smart guy, so I don't know. But that said, I mean, I, I just don't know where this goes. Like, uh, so I think the most important thing is that he stay as much out of politics as possible. And, and obviously that's just not going to happen. And it's going to create a lot of, lot of negativity towards him. And, and, you know, I just, it's a really politically difficult environment to have an opinion about politics in this day and age. And of course you all in the media know this more than anybody. And, and every time he makes political statements, he's attacked mercilessly and, and much of it for good reason. So that, I think, is the problem with him running Twitter, is it puts him square in the face of a lot of issues that have nothing to do with Tesla that will affect people's perception of Tesla. And, you know, I think it's, there's a point in time where Tesla's a big enough company, and it's, it's now where it's not that it – it's like Elon – needs to give a little bit of control up so that investors feel more confident about the secession plan. This is what I've been talking about for like years, that there needs to be a strong number to it at Tesla and there needs to be a, a deeper management best bench. And Tesla tells me all the time how great all these young people are, which I agree, but I'm like, you need to promote these people and you need to show and give these people some power over the business because the perception right now is exactly what you're saying is now this guy runs three public companies and in different industries. Like uh, once again, I don't think that's possible. So something's got to give hmm. and you know, hopefully it's not Tesla. That's for sure. And Kurt, we're four weeks away from an election. Um, mm -hmm. You know, how are folks at Twitter thinking about this? If this does happen, right, in a matter of days, the election is four weeks away. And Elon has said repeatedly he doesn't, you know, agree with a lot of Twitter's policies. He doesn't uh, necessarily think they're necessary, right? These are things that have been kind of implemented over years, right, over multiple election cycles. And, uh, you know, the big one, of course, is he said he would bring back President Donald Trump onto Twitter if, if he was owning the company, right? And there is a chance that all of those different things could come you know, into play over these next couple of weeks in the lead up to to the U.S. midterms and, and, you know, not even looking ahead to whatever happens in 2024. So I do think that there's a lot of people who are very conscious of that, uh, who are probably very worried about that, mostly because they just don't exactly know what he's going to repeal or take away if he indeed, you know, becomes a CEO and how quickly they would move on something like that. But given where we are with this election, it has to be noted that that, that kind of stuff could play a factor. Right. It's going to be hard, probably impossible to stay out of politics, uh, given the timing. OK, Bloomberg's Kurt Wagner. Thank you. We're going to continue to watch your reporting. Great job breaking that story. Gerber's Kawasaki president and CEO, Ross Gerber, always appreciate your commentary here. Thank you.
All right. Today's big story, Elon Musk agreeing to buy Twitter at the original price. What does it all mean for the months-long legal battle between the two? Let's bring in Tulane Law School's Associate Dean Ann Lipton for more. And uh, from a legal perspective, given Elon Musk has already spent a lot of money trying to make this go away, what do you think changed on his end? I I think um, in many ways this is almost the most expected outcome of all, which is settling on the eve of trial just before deposition of the main players, Elon Musk himself. I mean, in that sense, it's actually a very traditional sort of settlement. And so he doesn't want to be deposed. He has you know, probably some embarrassing text messages and conflicting statements, and all of that would make for a very unpleasant deposition for him. He is, uh, was scheduled to be deposed later this week. Everyone on Twitter's end has been deposed, so perhaps you're right. He didn't want to go through that process, but it's not really a settlement at all because he's not uh, essentially winning anything. I mean, the price is the same. Yeah, yeah, he's, he, yeah. I mean, I think the idea must be something like um, uh, Twitter already took a shareholder vote. Uh, the to go back to the shareholders and ask them to accept less would not only be time; it would be time consuming. It would be embarrassing. Twitter would have to explain why it was doing this when, in fact, it's in a very strong legal position. And if the goal here is to stop the proceedings in court, there may not have been enough time. I mean, trial was supposed to start in two weeks. Getting the papers together just to have a second shareholder vote would, you know, very possibly not get the goal of stopping the Delaware proceedings from going forward. So that is ultimately likely at least part of Musk's thinking in terms of not even pushing further to get a couple of dollars off the price. Interesting. So walk us through how this will likely play out in court, because if you're Twitter, you're wanting to get some certainty that he really means it this time. He threw in some language about debt financing and a condition, and I'm sure that's making the Twitter folks say, hey, what does he mean by this? Could they still go to a judge and ask the judge uh, to somehow, uh, you know, be part of the agreement or somehow further enforce an agreement? Yeah, I think, and I think that's probably what Twitter wants. I mean, the debt financing thing was always a condition for him to follow through, so I don't think that necessarily adds anything. Like, he was always um, not going to be under an obligation to close unless he had the debt financing in place. But I think that, um, but his his letter was very mealy-mouthed. It's very unclear exactly how much he was committing to in that letter. And Twitter obviously is not going to want to give up its trial date and, undo the depositions that are scheduled or other proceedings are scheduled. It's not going to want to change any of that until it's rock solid that this is for real, absolutely, definitely happening, no backseat. Uh, so they might seek some kind of court order that requires him to go through with the deal or some kind of court representation that he's not going to make any additional arguments and so forth. And I gather that's exactly what they're going to be trying to work out next. I'm being told that's called a consent judgment. Is that what you're talking about by a court order? Yeah. Yeah, it could be something like that, some kind of, uh, yeah, exactly, some kind of judgment by the court that he has agreed to uh, buy the company at a particular price, go through whatever that needs to go through. And that way, if he defies it, he's defying a court order, he's in contempt of court. And given all of these, you know, legal issues to work out, is it your understanding that this could happen in a matter of days? Do you think it's likely we get to that October 17th trial date or that this is, you know, said and done before then? I think it's very possible it's going to be done. I mean, obviously, Twitter is suspicious. Twitter is, you know, suspicious that this is some kind of game by Musk to delay things. And they don't want to let that happen. And if he is, in 
actually trying to play some kind of game, then obviously we're still going to go forward with everything. But I think it's very likely that this is serious. And uh, as soon as Musk can get uh, the assurances that Twitter needs, um, things can probably happen very quickly after that. The company has already gotten the regulatory approvals and the shareholder approval that it needs to close. So it's really just a matter of getting the financing, and that probably won't take very long. So yes, I think that this could definitely close soon, and uh, with the trial date will we'll be suspended, that there won't be a trial. I think that's very likely. Uh, so after, let's say that happens, Musk owns Twitter. You know, we're a few weeks out from an election. What happens? You know, how quickly could he just start making changes? Right. I mean, you know, he's in charge of the company. He, he can make whatever changes he wants, I suppose, if he orders it. Um, the question is whether he really does want to. I mean, I think um, part of the reason that he may have gotten cold feet about the whole deal was because he didn't necessarily want to take responsibility for all of that. And I don't know if he wants to thrust himself into that kind of political spotlight right away. But, I mean, you know, once it's his company, he can order what he wants. All right. So much to continue to tease out here, to continue to follow. And Lipton Tulane Law School's Associate Dean, uh, always appreciate you um, sharing your legal perspective with us. Thank you. We're going to have much more coming up next. Stay with us. This is Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop. Customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. More stories we're following. Micron has said it plans to invest as much as $100 billion over the next 20 years to build a factory in upstate New York. This in an effort to boost U.S. production of memory chips. The company says this is the largest private investment in New York State history. This comes in conjunction with the investment that we had announced in Boise a few weeks ago with Leading Edge right. Memory Manufacturing Fab there as well. Right. And the two together will help right. us bring our domestic production to 40% by the end of the decade versus 10% currently. Meantime, Tesla rival Rivian reported progress in ramping up production. Rivian also reaffirmed its goal of building 25,000 electric vehicles this year. Rivian says it produced more than 7,300 cars in the third quarter. We'll have more on that later this hour. 
And Meta plans to close one of its New York offices as the company winds back expansion plans in, in the city. According to Bloomberg sources, Meta has been consolidating its New York workforce, building out offices in Hudson Yards and moving ahead with other office plans near Penn Station. Last week, Meta announced a hiring freeze and restructuring. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Emily Chang in San Francisco. Back to today's top story, our Ed Ludlow uh, and the whole newsroom, really, following the Musk Twitter saga uh, since the start. Ed, you've actually been talking to some folks at Twitter. How is this all going down on the inside? Yeah, well, when news broke that Elon Musk had sent Twitter a letter saying he would proceed with the original terms, a number, a very wide range of Twitter staff were in a three hour long quarterly strategic planning meeting. And apparently in the first 15 minutes, Parag Agrawal, the CEO of Twitter, was delivering some opening remarks. And pretty much for the entire duration of the three hour meeting, not a single word was said about the news that was breaking all around these employees. There was no sort of official comment. Uh, we later, uh, in a memo that was shared to Bloomberg News or shared with Bloomberg News from Sean Edgett, who's general counsel, eventually, once it was already in the public domain, employees were informed of what was going on. But, you know, it, it's a very tough time right now if you're a Twitter employee, especially if you're working on the product, you really don't know where you stand. Remind us, Ed, what Musk has said about his vision for the platform. We know he's concerned about bots and spam. We know he said he you know, potentially would reinstate uh, former President Trump. You know, what, what's our sense of what he'll do once he, potentially in a matter of days, owns Twitter? Yeah, I mean, it's worth remembering as well what we learned in the text messages that came out as part of discovery through court filings, you know, and the whole reason for Musk taking Twitter private largely comes from conversations with Jack Dorsey, right, that they need to enact changes that they felt couldn't be done if Twitter were a public entity, a public company. And a lot of that revolves around the ad model, moving away from an ad model. You know, they want to tackle the bots issue on the platform. Musk has also talked about, you know, paying for the privilege, essentially, of verification um, and finding new ways to monetize the platform beyond just relying on ads. And of course, you know, the big uh, technological one for Musk is open sourcing the algorithm that kind of drives the Twitter platform itself. So those are the key areas that we think he'll focus on but broadly, the kind of principled or ideological changes are this idea that he believes that it should be a place where freedom of speech is protected and that as long as um, that, that no one uses the Twitter platform to cause harm or offence, that a broad range of voices should be allowed onto it. And that seems to be Elon Musk's philosophy. All right. Uh, I'd love, though, thank you, uh, of course, for your reporting throughout the day. Um, I want to take a look at this from a slightly different angle now with the news of Elon Musk agreeing to proceed with this Twitter deal. The idea of free speech on the Internet, of course, back front and center. He has said that he would reverse former President Trump's permanent ban on Twitter. That took place days after the U.S. Capitol attack. That attack had been in part fueled by Trump's Stop the Steal movement, a meme that became larger than life with real-world consequences. That's the subject of a new book, Meme Wars, the untold story of the online battles upending democracy in America by researchers at Harvard Shorenstein Center on Media, Politics, and Public Policy. 
research director and co-author of that book, Joan, Joan Donovan, is with us now for more. So, Joan, a lot to digest here. Elon Musk yeah. is a meme starter, one of the biggest meme tweeters in the world. He's the butt of a number of memes as well. What do you think him owning Twitter means for the platform? You know, when he first started making hay, saying he was going to buy it, I, I thought it was going to be nonsensical. Um, now that he's invested and this is going to go through, uh, one of the things that we looked at was, you know, what does Elon Musk like to tweet? And he does tend to get right in the middle of very important world <laughs> historic geopolitical flame wars uh, just recently with Zelensky, for instance, about the war in Ukraine. And so um, he's he's not a politician, but he's very much a political figure. And he now has bought uh, one of the most consequential communication technologies of our present day. And so we have to be uh, on alert and very careful about uh, charting these changes that are going to come about at Twitter very rapidly. And when he first started saying that he was going to buy the platform, of course, uh, many good employees left right away. And so I'm I'm afraid that uh, the people who are there that are doing excellent work are not going to want to stay there because of the political climate that their new boss brings. You make a very good point that just in the last 24 hours, he got right in the middle uh, of a war between Russia and Ukraine uh, got a really heated response from Ukraine's president uh, Zelensky himself. W what are your biggest concerns uh, about uh, someone like Elon Musk owning this platform? Um, and, and would you say concern is your overwhelming sentiment right now? Or are you also intrigued or, or potentially even a little bit excited about the possibilities? <sighs> Well, if you read the book Meme Wars, it starts uh, with the Occupy movement, and Twitter is a key figure uh, throughout the book as a place where people do launch meme wars and start and spark political movements and where politicians have gotten their voice and their audience uh, all the way up to where we end the book at the insurrection where a then sitting president of the United States was able to use memes and hashtags in order to uh, foment an insurrection. Uh, with Elon Musk, I imagine uh, more than being concerned, I, I don't know the way in which he's going to come at questions of content moderation that are, you know, under the purview of uh, what are ostensibly called trust and safety teams, um, and particularly some of the tweets and memes that Elon has been sharing over the years do tend to run right up on the line of terms of service, whether they're transphobic, transphobic or homophobic or anti-woman um, or almost financial scams. He was also behind uh, the early calls for people to take hydroxychloroquine to cure coronavirus. And so everywhere we look and see his opinions floating around, um, we have to wonder to what degree is he also spreading misinformation and disinformation uh, on the platform. But business model-wise, 
I can't imagine that this is going to be a big boon for Twitter over time, because hmm. if the quality of the information people have access to on this platform degrades much further, then people are going to seek out uh, similar technologies. Public trust is fairly low when you look at the surveys in social media or on social media. How, given your work covering and researching the Stop the Steal movement, um, what do you make of the timing of this um, and how Elon Musk could influence the moderation of content on the platform just weeks, days before midterm elections? It's a really good question because we don't know. What's interesting about bureaucracies in general is they're usually so big and inflexible that it would be hard for him to undo everything all at once unless he were to say we're going to get rid of the algorithms that remove hate speech, for instance. Uh, there are other algorithms that remove uh, gore and pornography. Maybe they leave those in, uh, but maybe they remove the filters that take out hate speech. Um, that could be really horrible for people who are using Twitter to look up information about voting or information about civic participation um, and they're looking at it from the perspective of wanting to know if a candidate is black or Latino and they get then inundated with a bunch of uh, hate speech and uh, slurs and insults uh, because that that stuff is the stuff of content moderation. That's why um, our Twitter feed isn't like AOL in the 90s, which was just um, heinously full of spam. And I think that uh, it, based on the way he was talking about bots, I don't know if he really in-depthly understands the way in which this platform has evolved over time and that bots have been there since very early on on Twitter. And so the idea that you could get rid of bots, it's not just a question of figuring out what's automated, but also figuring out, well, is that business that is using a bot that is totally legitimate, uh, are they able to keep using the bot in that way? So I think he's going to, mm -hmm. he, I mean, unfortunately, I think he, he bought a big bag of problems. Right. So last quick question. We're, you know, weeks away from an election. How do you think the meme wars are going to pick up between now and then? Elon Musk aside. Well, Elon Musk is a voracious memer, and he does tend to get a lot of his memes from, from Reddit. So I have a feeling he'll be in the game. If Trump comes back, uh, we're going to see the, the reanimation of QAnon. Uh, it's already happening over on Truth Social. I think the meme war to watch right now is between Dr. Oz and Fetterman. Uh, Fetterman's been coming out with a bunch of memes linking different uh, things that Oz has done in his past to funny and quippy sayings and short videos. Uh, Oz, too, has been trying to uh, make Fetterman uh, or expose Fetterman for having some medical issues. And so that is ongoing. We are also seeing a meme more develop around Dark Brandon, this idea that Joe Biden isn't what the insulters have been saying all along that he's this senile old man. No, instead, he's this 
uh, hyper aware man with laser eyes that is organizing some kind of deep state takeover uh, by having Trump's family charged um, and, of course, what's going on in Mar-a-Lago. And as we watch these things play out, what we know that is underneath memoirs, of course, are um, lies, disinformation. They're made to trick you. They're uh, they're made to incite you. They're made to be confusing. But at the end of the day, because they function in memetics, they're also emotionally contagious. And so people do share them uh, because it feels good. Uh, it's it's some dark and scary stuff uh, that you've just walked us through there. Uh, and if you want to learn more about it, of course, you could read Joan's book, Meme Wars. Uh, Joan Donovan, great to have you on the show. Thanks for helping us walk through this breaking news as well. Uh, you can check out Joan's book now. Okay, coming up, how Musk's takeover impacts the tech M&A landscape. That's next. This is Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop. Customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. The revival of Elon Musk's plan to take Twitter private. I want to bring in Robert Cantwell now, portfolio manager at the hedge fund Upholdings. Uh, Robert, you don't hold Twitter, you don't hold Tesla. So just clarifying that at the start, what's your take? Well, uh, our take is that uh, Elon, the whole renegotiation was an option uh, that didn't pay out. And it was a perfectly rational thing for him to pursue and put money into and, you know, folks are wondering uh, how much money to lose on the lawyers. But, you know, he had the opportunity to win billions back in, in a purchase price. And uh, clearly, as, as the case wore on and as the text messages even began to leak, uh, you know, our suspicion is that his financial backers are not comfortable with that stuff being transparent. And so when he's facing, you know, the potential loss of his co-investors uh, versus, you know, having to pay a little bit more of a premium for the deal, uh, I think it's become clear here that he was willing to take the deal at the higher price uh, without losing the backing of his uh, partners. 
Well, and it's even more of a premium now that, you know, Twitter shares were under so much pressure after he pulled out of the deal. You know, do you think he, it's likely he's going to get the financing that he needs to do this, the banks, uh, that the banks are going to be able to, to sell that? Well, the markets have been bouncing back a little bit. Uh, you've seen liquidity returning in, in little pieces. M&A has, has frankly been the, the biggest driver of the market. You had the Adobe acquisition of Figma. That was a public over a private deal. You had Poshmark acquired by an Asian business. That's a public going private. Uh, now you've got Elon um, now coming back to the Twitter deal. And this, a lot of this could be also framed around knowing that that price that he negotiated in April, the market had come down a little bit. We hadn't reached the June lows yet. So there was a 90-day window there where he was trying to get a little bit cute around the price that he was paying. But now that you're seeing the market recovering, now that you're hearing from other Federal Reserves around the world that they're starting to think about loosening uh, how far they're going to go on interest rates, you're starting to see equity multiples come back. And that also could have been a consideration where if, if he really did still want Twitter in his heart of hearts, he might have had to pay even more for it a year from now. So as market prices are improving, that also made the deal financially more attractive at, at where he had agreed to it previously. And there, hmm. there's still a very long path from here until the deal closing. Uh, but it certainly seems as likely as it's ever been now. Right. It's not over till it's over and then over again. You do own a number of, of you, you do have a huge tech portfolio, including, you know, social media, uh, advertising, uh, revenue-based companies. How do you think this impacts the advertising revenue stream for Twitter? I mean, advertisers have been, you know, understandably spooked over the last few months, um, whether or not they should be back, you know, putting their money into Twitter at all anymore. So, so for context, Twitter, they've got about five and a half billion dollars of revenue, Snapchat about four and a half, uh, Meta about 120. So for orders of magnitude that we're talking here, uh, Twitter is still a relatively small player. But the thing that's different about Twitter relative to Snapchat, Twitter is a top five global web property. So when you talk about the, the reach and if you look at the top 30 web properties in the world, they're basically owned by Google or Meta. So Twitter was the last remaining independent top 10 worldwide Internet property. And that's got to be the one thing that they're in their heart of hearts telling themselves, this is why this thing is worth $44 billion, because there's a lot more ways that we're going to be able to extract value from it beyond just advertising. So advertising is likely to look reasonably healthy in the fourth quarter. You've got the midterms coming up in a month. Political quarters are always pretty good for digital advertisers. And they also may have heard that Twitter's numbers were improving and Musk wanted to get ahead of that as well. So that's what we're mainly looking out for is the digital advertiser performance uh, in the fourth quarter of this year. All right. Uh, Robert Cantwell, Upholdings Portfolio Manager. Uh, good to have you hear you on this. Thank you so much for stopping by. To wrap it all up, I want to bring in our own Sarah Fryer, our Bloomberg Tech Editor, to cap this crazy day and talk about what this means for the future. Sarah, a lot of huge existential questions here. Let's say Elon Musk does buy Twitter. It's a done deal. How do you imagine, as someone who has covered social media for the better part of a decade, how do you think he'll change Twitter and social media? I think he's very quickly going to find out that a lot of the things that he wanted to do to change it um, such as, you know, the, these broad notion, notions of advocating for free speech 
are a lot easier said than done. Um, I think that he, as we've seen in his text messages, gets a lot of feedback from very powerful people around the world and sometimes acts on it. And so I think he's going to be um, really grappling with with that and trying to figure out what uh, principles to push for and and what is worth ignoring. I wonder if Twitter will be under even more scrutiny uh, also with Musk as a sole owner. You know, I think about the scrutiny that M- Mark Zuckerberg has gotten at Facebook. Will the pressure well, the be pri- even higher? <laughs> the pressure might be higher, but we're not going to get as much information. It's going to be more of a black box. I, I think that as a private company, Twitter is much less likely to tell us how it's growing or, or how its business is doing. And um, Elon Musk will be the main source of information. So it's going to be even more critical for journalists like us to really find out what's happening behind the scenes. Um, I I do think that there are going to be a lot of disgruntled employees, um, people who already tell us that they're, they're not looking forward to um, leadership under Musk for whatever reason. Um, and I think that it's going to be a big cultural change for the company, especially um, in, in issues as simple as, as work from home, as Elon Musk has said that he's not, he's not a big supporter of that. Quickly, are you expecting an exodus of employees or you know, also potentially an influx? Definitely both, right? I think that we're going to see people who are are huge fans of Elon Musk and what he's accomplished elsewhere um, say that they'd love to work for him at Twitter. I think we're also going to see employees who disagree with with him um, try to find other employment. But that said, it is a tough time. There are hiring freezes across the board at tech companies, um, companies that are cutting their budget. So if you are a Twitter employee who is trying to get out of there, you've probably already tried to um, to start your search. I, I think that a, a lot of employees are, are sort of figuring that out right now. And we're a little uncertain. I think there's still some uncertainty about whether this is going to actually happen. All right, Sarah, thank you for giving us a little view into your uh, version of the crystal ball. Uh, big, hard questions at hand. Bloomberg, Sarah Fryer. Thank you. That does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology. We're going to be across all developments on this tomorrow, of course. And also Frances Haugen is joining us, the Facebook whistleblower, one year after her historic testimony before Congress. I'm sure she has some thoughts on Elon Musk owning Twitter as well. I'm Emily Chang in San Francisco. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.